Assalamu alaikum and hello. Welcome to the Mindful Muslim podcast. And on this session, I've been joined by the amazing Dawn. She is a clinical psychologist and has been working in the field for about 20 years. Um, it was an amazing eye-opening conversation and I really hope you enjoy it. Make sure you follow Inspirited Minds on all of our social media platforms and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum Dawn. Thank you so much for joining me on the Inspirited Minds podcast today. Um, Shall we start with who you are? Tell us a little bit about yourself so that you can introduce yourself to our listeners and our viewers. Okay, I'm a clinical psychologist by profession. I qualified in 2000. Um, (coughs) And I work mostly with older people and I have done since I qualified. I've done a little bit of teaching um, as a psychologist as well so my current position I'm kind of split half and half clinical and teaching as well. Fab and um, you've been a clinical psychologist for a while I understand. Uh, So it'd be about 21 years now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So what actually motivated you in the beginning to become a clinical psychologist and what were you doing before then? Was it studying or something else? What motivated me? This is a good question. So while I was at university, I had um, what they call a thin sandwich course. So you did placements every six months. It's a four-year degree. And during that time, I did a placement um, for six months at a prison. So I then became interested in forensic psychology and wanted to do that after I um, finished my degree. Um, you have to go through a process with um, applying for the prison service. Mm. Anyway, I didn't get through that. Mm. Then I also had an idea I might be an educational psychologist. Um, Then I discovered you had to be a teacher before you could do that. And at that point, I'd had a joint degree, social anthropology and psychology. And I was told there was not enough sort of like hard subjects like uh, maths or whatever um, to be able to apply for teaching training at that point. Um, so then I was left with what's next. <clears throat> so I thought, OK, we'll go down the route of clinical, which everyone tells you not to because it's really hard to get into. That's what you hear from everyone. But I got lucky, and I think I got lucky because I had that experience at an undergraduate level of working in different sort of environments. I'd worked in educational psychology service as well towards the end. <clears throat> and I got an assistant job in um, Chichester, the south of England. And so that kind of started off an interest there. And while I was there, the other assistants were applying for clinical courses, which I didn't know anything about at the time. So that was an education. So I thought, okay, I'll go along with that. We'll do what they're doing. And um, got lucky and got in. Um, I got an offer for Surrey University but wanted to go to a place called Salomon Centre which is in Tunbridge Wells at the time. It's part of um, Canterbury Christchurch University now and so I started my training there. Oh brilliant. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you something off of what you said. Um, your first degree, what was that actually in? Was it psychology based? Psychology and social anthropology so it was a joint degree. Oh I see. So after that you had your role in Chichester and that's where 
kind of thing started with yeah. clinical psychology. Um, and how long was the training when you were at um, Christchurch, I suppose? So it's a three-year doctorate. It's a clinical-based doctorate. So you do um, part study, part work. So different um, courses work in different ways. But the one I was on, you did three days a week on a clinical placement and um, two days a week you're a university based so you're studying. Sounds really exciting. Was there um, a lot of people on your course or what was the experience like for you those three years? Um, often courses are quite small, used to be, mm. small numbers. Mm. Um, when I started there was slowly increasing the numbers so as I understand it where I was they'd started off with quite a few like maybe 12 or something by the time I was there yeah. we had about 20 I think in our cohort and this around was the year 20. this would have been 1997 mm. <clears throat> okay. so it started to increase a little bit sure. um, yep and you go through three years with that but different courses are different so the London courses are typically bigger they've mm. always been bigger mm. and more recently this the last year um, the government funded a lot more um, places on the courses mm. at different points around the country yeah. so for instance Hertfordshire course now is much bigger it's like 50 around 50 I think just a bit more yeah, whereas it would have been perhaps 20 or less mm. not so long ago mm. and uh, how did you spend those three years sort of studying working did you have any regrets did you think it's, I'm so glad I chose this or it's stressful it's very stressful mm. um, and you don't realize it while you're in the middle of it either I think right. though everybody's telling you it will be stressful you don't quite appreciate where the stress is coming from. Mm. So you've got your own clinical caseload, for instance. You're, um, for the course I was on, you switch every six months as well. So you, where I was at, you started with an adult placement mm. and then moved on to, I think it was child next, mm. so six months each. Mm. And then there was a learning disabilities, then older adult, and then in the final year, you can choose different specialties that you might like to go into. But again, every course is different. And I know now because the courses have expanded, not, it's not necessary that you can do those discrete um, like departments, different types of services. You might have to you know, change it up a bit. Mm. But basically now it's more focused on like core skills. Um, so yeah, you, do, you work in a hospital department, you could work in a community team, um, you could work in a, a ward. So you work in different services. Mm wherever they can find like the um, supervisor so you have to be supervised by a clinical psychologist in that particular and as you say that's of part work. of the course that you were on once there was a supervisor then people were sort of sent in those directions yeah and it could be so it covers a particular region as well mm. um, so you're living one part but you won't necessarily be working in that part so for me at the time I lived in Brighton mm. I um, worked out in Horsham which is a few miles up uh, what was it the A23, I think. <laughs> um, then I worked in Brighton itself. Mm -hmm. Then I went across to Worthing. Um, and then I was up in London for about a year because mm -hmm. I did a final, I did a, an older adult placement in London and then managed to do like extend it as a specialty placement. Okay. And then I did a, another placement in, um, what was it called? Not Hayward Heath, somewhere nearby. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, you'll move, you can potentially move around. Right. Um, other people I've known, they live in London. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can try and get placements around near where they live, but you might have to go further afield. One person I know that ended up having to go to Ashford in Kent, mm -hmm. 
for about six month period. So it depends which region your course covers. Right. Um, and what kind of were the reasons that you, it sounds like um, older adults w- was your interest at the time and, and is now. Mm. So what kind of led you on to that? Was there any particular reason? Um, the, f- the first assistant job I got was with older adults mm. and I wasn't keen because I thought, oh no, mm. don't fancy that. Mm-hmm. Just had ideas of you know my, my grandparents. I just, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. But because <clears throat> it's very hard to get an assistance post, I just thought, okay, we'll go with it. Um, so I just thought I was lucky to get an assistant host. But actually, I discovered that she really liked it. Um, I liked working with older people. I liked their life stories, the richness of life stories they came with, and mm-hmm. the different um, aspects of the work as well. So for me, in older adult work, there's quite a, a rich mix of um, psychology. So you can get involved in the neuro aspects of psychology, the sort of comorbidity with health issues and then sort of like just um, psychological issues as well. So that was the preference for me, I discovered anyway. And you mentioned earlier about teaching. How did that come about? Where did you do it? So when you're qualified, or even as an assistant, you'll be asked to potentially get involved in training. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like one of the key skills as a psychologist. It's not just sort of therapeutic work you'll often be asked to get involved in training um, or teaching. So even as assistants, you might be asked to do like a little training package or teaching to other staff members during a business meeting, that kind of things like CPD um, work. But um, even as a trainee as well, when you're in the doctorate course, you might be asked to get involved in some level of teaching and training. So it's a key skill. Um, So all along I was involved that level doing that which the first time scared me to death Mm. (coughs) teaching's very nerve-wracking very anxiety provoking (coughs) but um my experience once you do it a couple of times you kind of figure out how to get over the initial nerves (laughs) don't know how you find it (laughs) yeah i understand um so you had that sort of experience of presenting and CPDs and a bit of training and did that is that what led you to some work in Saudi Arabia? Yes so when I was qualified um, when I started I would say yeah the first job I had after I qualified I did a little bit of um, joint teaching with a supervisor in um, the Institute of Psychiatry he used to do some teaching there so I joined him to give a couple of I think a session Mm. that was on psychosis in older adults Mm. Um, then as I worked in Leicester I did a couple of teaching sessions at the University of Leicester course. Again, the courses um, are in close communication with local clinicians. So they'll ask if anyone's interested in providing some sessions. Mm. So like they're not providing everything. They like to bring in clinicians who are actually working in the mm. field. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a experience um lots of people don't like to do it Mm. you know wouldn't want to do it and that's fine because it's not everybody's cup of tea Mm. um but i found i quite liked it i liked working with other psychologists preparing material and actually doing sort of like workshops delivering them so i had a little bit of experience not a lot Mm. and then when i lived in saudi arabia um i got bored (laughs) i needed to work um I just had a baby, but I, after a while, I just felt a bit itchy for work. 
and um, I was lucky somebody knew somebody who was actually a student at a university and they just started a um, the university had just developed or was developing a course in clinical psychology for undergraduates which is quite unusual because pretty much all over the world you'll learn clinical psychology as a graduate right. um, just do a basic psychology degree as an undergraduate um, but in Saudi at the time they wanted to increase and expand the psychology workforce and they wanted to do it quickly so they wanted a specific focus on clinical psychology and um, yeah so I um, went and spoke to the people on that course at the time that was being run in collaboration with Erasmus University in Holland and um, I was asked to get involved and develop the curriculum for more specific clinical psychology modules. Right. So that was my involvement there. Amazing. So what was the experience like? What did you sort of take away from that role of um, being involved? seems quite heavily on the curriculum and what these undergraduate students were able to experience. It sounds like a responsibility at the same time. Um, it was really interesting. Um, quite hard to think how you teach to an undergraduate level what you know at a postgraduate level mm. and how you can change that up uh, sometimes you can't you just got to teach it um, luckily enough that university they they do more sort of like you wouldn't do a three-year degree in Saudi they do like a foundation year in general topics and then they'll that particular course they went on for about four years so they're almost nudging at master's level anyway towards the end so you can teach them a little bit more beyond the basics of psychology um, I would say it was really intense there was a lot to do um, a lot of practical skills workshops to do which was interesting because that wouldn't necessarily be the mode of teaching that people were used to um, a lot of trying to push people into more sort of like critical evaluation skills that was also something a bit new. Um, the Erasmus program liked um, <coughs> to do, oh, I've forgotten what the word is, it's a certain style of teaching, PBL, that's it. Yes, problem-based learning. Yes, mm. so that's like how they like to teach things. So students were being like sort of coached in how to do that. So more, again, critical evaluative skills, mm -hmm. discussion, mm -hmm. that teamwork, that kind of thing. And they were really good at it. Mm. Really good at it. Good. Amazing. Um, so what kind of um, happened after your experience in Saudi? Did you move house or what happened after that? Um, the requirements in university, things were changing. Saudi changes really fast. Saudi's mm -hmm. always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, my reasons for the, like the all the curriculum had de been developed, the different modules had been done, and there were some changes in how the organisation was working. And I felt it was time to leave, mm -hmm. and f it was around that time. It was the right time for my children to come back as well um, for education. Brilliant. Um, what do you think has been one of the most or the most rewarding part of your? career so far um, or maybe early career I suppose <laughs> that's what we're on right now I would say the time in Saudi right actually mm. it was um, really nice to almost you had a blank sheet of paper not completely they had an idea of what they wanted to teach the learning objectives mm. in different modules 
but that was it. So you took like a, a paragraph of description of what they wanted and you had to create like a 12-week course from it. Wow. So that was, um, that was an interesting experience to actually discover I could do that. And um, I wouldn't have had that opportunity unless I was in clinical psychology. So. No, as you mentioned, it was intense and I'm sure stressful and just an awful lot of work to do. Um, what do you think was sort of the highlight of that role for you or anything like in your memories that sticks out, any kind of particular experience there? Seeing the students develop, yeah. definitely. From, um, you know, learning more in depth about the specific clinical psychology and then going on to work in it because they developed the course towards the end and did um, like a fifth year where they were like um, on a placement. Mm -hmm. So they had to go and work in hospital or a clinic or some other service would be a psychology based and you could see that they were using those skills there and, and essentially really they'd good. gone through your program in order to you know develop those skills yeah, in the yeah. first place there was lots of other people there as well right um yeah, <laughs> yeah we had, still had a lot of dutch teachers and mm. there was some teachers from um, pakistan as well mm. um, clinical psychologists from there so it was just nice to see how students develop yeah and the confidence developed and their understanding of psychology developed Brilliant. Um, there's some misconception about what clinical psychology actually is. So how would you describe it? That's a good question. <laughs> what would be the misconception first? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose the kind of job that it is or just not knowing exactly what it would entail as a day to day. As you mentioned, there's sort of different um, aspects to the job, whether it be teaching or seeing clients face to face. That might be the biggest misconception is a being a clinical psychologist is just about therapy. Right. That's possibly mm. maybe some people's misconception. I would say it was more than therapy. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think it can differ in different countries as well, what clinical psychology is and what they do. So in this country, for instance, you have to do a doctorate level to be qualified as a clinical psychologist. I know in Europe, you don't necessarily have to do the doctorate level. You could do masters in different countries and still be a clinical psychologist. In America, I believe, you go to the doctorate level as well. Mm. Um, but it varies. A lot of countries are more masters level. Mm. <coughs> um, clinical psychology, what is it? Um, well, it is therapy. You hold caseloads often. You see <coughs> clients, patients, not necessarily individuals. Could be families, could be couples. Um, you work with services, you work with teams, so you don't necessarily just work with individuals. Mm. You may be asked to consult with teams and how they're working with particular individuals, um, be patients, how they work as a staff group. You can do what they call reflective practice groups, um, <clears throat> a staff group, a team, spend some time reflecting on the stresses of the work or any particular issues that are going on and you help facilitate those groups. Like I say, you can do teaching, training. Um, you get involved in a lot of things, mm. actually. Yeah, it sounds really varied and not something that's sort of the same every day. <coughs> no, no, mm. it isn't. Mm. Are there any um, uh, things that you can recall from your career that kind of stuck out? to you or that you can recall now that was like a particularly interesting caseload or um, I think it can be interesting where you can <coughs> develop services so again the more experienced you get and even less experience there's always an opportunity to develop something mm. um, so you get to be perhaps innovative 
evidence-based but innovative. You can work in a service and think, oh, there's gaps here, or I might want to run a group here. Um, there's not much of that happening. And you can come up with your ideas. You can find a package that maybe is already running, already been developed, or you can develop your own one. Um, so, yeah, you've got the opportunity to be quite creative. And also maybe um, implement change. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. And that's something that sort of driven you or something that you've an aspect that you've really I th- enjoyed I think the training that you get as a clinical psychologist you're always assessing mm. everything without realizing it so the fact that you do do a lot of perhaps one-to-one work doesn't mean to say you're not looking at your environment or your horizon and thinking oh okay how does this system work how is the organization working what other factors are going on here you're what they call formulating all the time you're not just providing formulation for an individual you're sometimes thinking about the service and the group that you work in and thinking how can I improve this how can I develop this is there a better way of doing it Um, checking with clients you know what's what's the eva- their evaluation of what you're providing as a service as well so psychologists get involved in sort of like qi projects a lot as well mm-hmm. auditing evaluation of services again it's not just therapeutic work yeah no i absolutely had no idea of the vastness of it so that's amazing to know i'm sure our listeners and viewers would appreciate that um definitely um my next question is what does a typical day in the life of a clinical psychologist look like and I think we've sort of touched on that a lot in terms of it can be varied it would be very difficult to pin it down because every psychologist experience would be different because it would vary very much with the service that they're working in as well so you'll you'll get psychologists working with homelessness services you get psychologists working in um, learned disability services maybe in group homes you've got psychologists working in neuropsychology services perhaps with um physical health issues, strokes, um, that kind of thing. So uh, cardiac problems, you get psychologists everywhere. Right. They're not just in you know, your specific mental health services. Yes. They're spread around. Yes, if we um, talk about the UK and in your experience, would you say that there's a need for more clinical psychologists in uh, the workplace? Uh, the government seems to feel so, yeah. They're definitely expanding positions since I've been working in psychology I feel there's been a huge expansion of clinical psychologists more in the health aspect Mm. physical health aspect so you'll see more clinical psychologists working perhaps in diabetes care or cardiac care or um, perinatal services it's expanded a lot there was always potential to have worked there but perhaps the posts weren't there Um, but yeah it seems to have exploded Mm. and my experience of working overseas as well is that psychology in general has exploded yeah. across the world there's it's definitely something that governments are looking towards creating more jobs and like increasing the workforce skill in that area right right um and i guess again in your experience of working in different places but also in different roles um did you feel like there should have been more clinical psychologists what i mean by that is if there were more psychologists, would there have been less pressure on your team, for example? Um, just in terms of the workforce, are the numbers sort of not enough for what we might need, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, there's not enough clinical psychologists in post. There's mm. l- still lots of waiting lists in different services. Right. Um, different professions are getting trained in specific areas of psychology. So you're 
people get a lot of um, other professions trained in sort of CBT therapy and can provide specific therapy to specific um, cases, mm -hmm. services. So psychologists are not the only one that are using psychological knowledge and skills. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're typically a, a wanted resource. They always seem to want more of psychology. Sometimes p services can't quite tell you why they want more of psychology, but they're always asking for it. Um, what are the main areas you work in as a psychologist now? You mentioned earlier about um, older adults. Um, where are you based now and how long have you been sort of in that role? So at the moment I work in an inpatient unit for older adults, so a psychiatric unit. Mm -hmm. um, what can I say about that? It's, um, again, people come into a unit they're much more severely unwell, right. if you like, so it can be very tricky to perhaps do what people consider more classical psychology, you know, you, it's not always possible to do sort of like one-to-one -one work with people who are in their worst state of distress, really. So <clears throat> you'll perhaps work with staff a bit more or assess a bit more rather than just do therapy. You're looking more at what they call formulation. So thinking about what's contributing to the person's level of distress at the moment and, and what things might help. Um, so not just medication. Mm. So, so um, the work that you do now, um, full time, um, that's part time. Part yeah, time. That one. Um, and you're on this unit every, you know, for you as a part time role. Um, what are the things that you see most often? Do you think in in, in patients? I mean, um, in older adults, I don't think I see anything most often. I see right. a range. I see. So you. I think the, there's a misconception that older people's services is all about dementia, mm -hmm. and it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've still got people who are older and they get depressed, they get anxious. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a dementia. Mm -hmm. You can live a long life and not have a dementia <laughs> or a cognitive impairment of some kind. Um, so, yeah, the service I work in is what they call functional um, mental health. So you've got people who are not um, primarily dementing or, or with a primary diagnosis of dementia mm -hmm. uh, there are there's another ward for that specifically for <coughs> dementia care I see and what do you think are the challenges that that your service or you yourself sort of personally face um, again it's about demand so there's always more demand than there is service mm. that's just the nature of it mm. so you know, people are being looked after in the community as best they can, but a community team can only go so far. Sometimes and there's only so many people in a community team. So, as I say, there's, you know, you have waiting lists for different services. Mm -hmm. Although people in non-psychologists in a community team, again, you know, they can be skilled, they can have done extra training, provide more psychological approaches to care. Right. And apart from sort of more psychologists or um, more... Uh, of the workforce available to, to help patients, what do you think could sort of help solve or, or make this a better service, apart from just having more men on the ground is what I mean? Um, they are developing services. So they, the government workforce confederations, you know, these different groups that plan for professions. So they created a new profession. It's called um, clinical associate psychologist. Right. That's is more established in Scotland. 
Um, so they've had that a little bit longer in Scotland. And what it is, is a, it's a, um, a role between assistant psychologists and like clinical psychologists. So an assistant psychologist would typically be somebody with an undergraduate degree in psychology that works alongside a clinical psychologist mm. and gets involved in, well, can get involved in anything actually in a service. <laughs> as long as they're supervised by the mm. clinical psychologist. And they won't have, like, huge... They shouldn't have huge mm. caseloads, that sort of thing. They do specific pieces of work. Mm. Um, but there was nothing in between, and there's a what they call a big sort of f- uh, funnel neck mm. in trying to get to clinical um, psychology doctorate courses. So there's lots and lots, thousands of people applying, but there's only a few number of spaces. So, you know, there's this bottleneck, basically. So what they've done is created this new um, profession that's in between. It's a master's level. It's an apprenticeship. So you're employed by a trust on, as an apprentice, um, and you you work in a trust in a service for about four days a week, mm. probably three and a half actually, and then one day a week you're sort of university-based. You're being taught. Um, and like half, that's why I say it's probably three and a half because half day a week you should have like study leave. Mm. So they are trying to expand the psychology, they call it psychology workforce, right. by bringing in this new sort of in-between role. Interesting. Um, if I recall correctly, I think I've heard something similar maybe in the medical profession with, I think they're called medical associates, I might be mm. wrong, but mm. something that has been, has I suppose come across from America is what I've heard. Um, I think that might be a similar idea to increase the, the workforce mm. um, to become an associate, I believe, in medicine. But mm. yeah, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about any trends and in individuals that um, that you see um, what they're s- struggling with most. But I, I guess you touched on that, that it's there might be a misconception that it's all dementia in older adults, but it's really not. It's quite varied. It's very varied. I mean, it's, mental health is very varied, really. Um, if I was to try, I think if there's any issues, I mean, I suppose obviously the last two years, the biggest issue is around uncertainty, I think. Um, not just social isolation, but the un- whole uncertainty about it. Um, social isolation is a, a huge factor. I think um, people didn't realise perhaps how sociable they were. Um, I think, you know, just perhaps going shopping or window shopping, that sort of thing, and not necessarily meeting people, we don't necessarily think that we're being sociable. Mm -hmm. But when that gets taken away and you can't even just be around people, that has a huge impact on some people's mental health. A really strong sense of isolation. Right. Um, I I guess that's sort of linked to loneliness as well and how that's a very big factor Mm. in mental health challenges Mm. that that people face. Mm. Um, And then you're a part of the Muslim community yourself, um, and uh, there's some stigma around mental health. Um, Have you found this in the work that you do now or or previously, Um, I guess, how Muslims interact with the services that you've you've, um, been a part of? I think that also varies. I think it's... You could you could go down the route of thinking it's a generational issue, but I don't think that's necessarily holds with everybody. Right. Um, I think there can be a suspiciousness about psychology. I've definitely heard some ideas 
around um, some generations thinking that it's you know n- not acceptable. I've certainly had people say to me their <coughs> parents said that they couldn't study psychology because it was haram because what they felt was in the content. Um, people spend too much time just thinking about Freud and psychology which is a very small issue. You could probably go through a career in psychology and never look at Freud properly. Um, So, yeah, I've definitely heard people being pushed away from psychology. Um, I've definitely seen that people are not sure about seeing psychologists. Um, I think to see a psychologist, you've got to be fairly open and be prepared to talk about a lot of things. And for certain cultures, that's not not the norm you don't talk about certain things I certainly saw more of that in Saudi for instance uh, while you were talking about some of the content some of the nature of the different approaches you use it just didn't seem to lend itself very well you wouldn't be able to have that conversation one thing that specifically came up like you wouldn't be able to have a conversation that perhaps is a bit critical about your parents Mm. and so how would you properly assess someone's situation without doing that so I remember having a long conversation about that with somebody once Um, so it's useful (laughs) and I think more people are using it and becoming less hesitant about it and and it can be adapted as well you know it doesn't have to be delivered in one specific way it can be adapted to people's different belief sets absolutely and in your work um, now is there anything one person or, or, or project that you've been on that comes to mind where you have seen that individual or that group or that family sort of not want to be involved but they're, they're sort of calm and they're not really sure and then there's something at the end that sort of works out for them or I think younger generation are more open to it mm. so they, they're perhaps having more of an influence on the older generation to be a bit more accepting that this is a, a way that you could work with mental health issues and even physical health issues um you you when you're working with psychology you're not going in analysis you know that's psychotherapy that's not psychology that's not clinical psychology there's something different it's a different field altogether um so clinical psychology you know it's basically helping you with your particular situation and seeing your strengths trying to assess what strengths you've got individually in your system around you your relationships and try and work through whatever issues you've got um, and and encourage you to do that so it shouldn't be about the psychologist coming and saying you must do this this and this Mm -hmm. they're assessing what your situation is what you're capable of what might work for you let you lead your sort of like change that you lead therapy Mm -hmm. sounds very um tailored and sort of specific to that family or or person yeah you could I mean a psychologist might work in a particularly um, structured way Mm. but then when you're faced with each individual you have to change it slightly to work with the individual or an individual is going to as we say vote with their feet and not come back Mm. Um, great Um, are there any myths that you've heard of um, or read about um, as a clinical psychologist I think there's always the classic one if you meet people for the first time and say what you do and they're like oh you're going to read my mind now it's just that you you know you're not the person that people want to go and spend time with typically mm-hmm. if you go somewhere new mm. <laughs> somebody will go and speak to somebody else once they discover what you do um so sure. 
you definitely can't read people's minds. Um, and perhaps the idea that you're a psychologist all the time, you know, you don't have any time off. It's like, as a psychologist, why would I be wanting to think that way all the time? You know, I, I can just be sociable and yes. not be looking at someone's inner, th- like, motives for doing things. Yeah, and keeping sort of work in your personal life separate yeah, yeah. is very doable. <laughs> so there's a, sometimes a little bit of suspiciousness, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's think a little bit more about faith. I guess we touched on Muslims in particular. Um, how do you think faith comes into your work? Does it? That's a tricky one, because you can't... Personally, in this country, I feel it's encouraged to keep the two separate, mm. and it gets complicated. Um, I would say again, working in a different country, a Muslim country, that was always there. It was always something that had to be considered. Even to the extent developing a curriculum, you were told that you have to think about how this fits with the religion and how it fits with society and how it fits with cultural norms and values. So you had to think about that. Um, So in this country, I know there are some people that work more focused on faith aspects. Um, I think if if you've got a client, you're working with someone where faith is very important, you have got to work with faith as well. Yeah. But in your role, I, I'm sure you see people from all sorts of different, um, you know, faiths, no faith at all. Um, what's that like for you? Um, I, I, th- I don't know what other people's experiences mm. is, obviously. I can only speak for myself. <clears throat> but sometimes I think it opens up a conversation that perhaps people don't have with another person they don't obviously associate with faith. So they f- potentially feel a bit more comfortable talking about their beliefs. And that's not just Muslims either. So it could be Christian, um, Hindu, any faith. Um, because you're more obviously, you know, they assume you're obviously of a religion. Mm-hmm. You're not hiding it in a sense. They'll, I think they don't hold back from that conversation. I wonder if <coughs> you have potentially more in-depth conversation about that. I think that can be something people are a bit hesitant about when they don't when they don't know a lot about the other person, the other therapist, um, they might not be so open about what level of beliefs they've got. That's my personal Mm -hmm. experience anyway. So you found um, sort of openly in appearance and et cetera that you are Muslim has actually helped you in your work? Sometimes, yeah, Yeah. with conversations with some people, yeah. How do you think seeing a therapist who's from your faith and culture is better than someone who isn't from your faith (coughs) or culture? do you think it matters at all? Um, you mentioned a little bit about. I think it depends on the person. Mm. So not necessarily the therapist, but the person coming looking for therapy, the person who's wanting the service from clinical psychology. I think if they're comfortable and they can open up with someone who's not of their faith and they find that's more useful because they can talk about more things, perhaps. Mm. Some people might feel that they're more judged. Not that they would be, but they might feel more judged by somebody they think is more faith-based. Um, and other people may want someone who is more obviously of a certain faith because they can they feel that perhaps that person understands them a bit more they can they don't have to explain themselves so much yeah. so i think it really depends on the person seeking yeah. the service yeah i'm i'm so glad sort of that we are talking about this question because i think sometimes I mean, I've assumed before that, oh, um if I want to see a psychologist, I would prefer them to be of my faith, you know, but um as you say, people want different things 
Um, so I think that's, yeah, really important to bear in mind. Um, what advice would you have for budding psychologists or, um, you know, somebody listening or, or watching is now who might want to enter psychology um, and think about clinical psychology as well now that they know so much more about it? I would say don't ever let someone tell you you can't do it. That's the biggest thing I hear consistently. And so I started my training in 1997. I'm old now. I I did a degree, when did I start my degree? 1991. And I remember going to the career service towards the end of that degree. So that'd be 94, 95. And being told, oh, don't bother with that. That's really hard to get into. So even before you've tried, being told very early on, this is really hard, don't. So that would be my first thing to say to people. If you're really interested in it, just go for it. It's not going to be easy. It's not plain sailing. It is hard to get into those different jobs. Mm -hmm. You need to get yourself some clinical experience. You need to work in some sort of clinical area, mm. um, not just caring. Um, a lot of people, graduates will go into sort of caring yes. roles, mm. um, could be care homes, could be a support assistant on a ward, that sort of thing. If you're going to do that, you need to do something extra as well. <clears throat> My personal experience, I found if you got involved in some voluntary work, that might help. Um, there are lots of voluntary groups, lots of charities who are working more th sort of therapeutically. Um, <clears throat> so that can help. Widen the horizons a little bit. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Mm. If you can get involved in any kind of research, that really helps. That's something I've not mentioned. Psychologists do a lot of research as well. Mm. That um, makes you stand out a bit. Um, so you don't, don't get stuck on the fact that you have to have an assistant psychology post either. You don't necessarily have to have that. There are many people that have become clinical psychologists and they never had an assistant post. But you've got to think about what are the <coughs> skills, what are the roles of clinical psychologists, how am I meeting those in my actual work experience? You've got to have a little bit of a plan, right. really. And get those skills under your belt. It, and it can be through <coughs> different means, as you said. Yeah, it doesn't just have to be about a, a caring, helping mm. sort of role for others. Yeah, the, the normal or the go-to that we think about. Yeah, And, and charities and um, voluntary groups, so they give you extra training as well. Mm. So you, you can go places, get extra counselling training or do counselling courses, that sort of thing. There are other things that you can take control of rather than just feeling, I can't get in, I can't get in. Absolutely. Um, and apart from sort of those experiences, um, are there any particular resources that you'd, that you'd recommend? What kind of resources are you thinking? Um, anything outside of um, going to work with charities or or getting yourself some experience or becoming an assistant. Um, any kind of readings or other things that you'd recommend to, to? I think there are a lot of social media groups now. Um, lots of groups talking about, uh, there always has been, but now it's a lot easier to share information. So there's lots of people sharing information, experience about um, being an assistant or getting their first assistant post or applying for clinical doctorate positions. Now, obviously, there's more groups talking about clinical associate psychology and how mm. to get into that. So there's lots of information out there, um, a lot of sort of like previous experiences, people doing that. Um, I'm not sure it'd be easy to necessarily contact a clinical psychologist off, mm. you know, just out of the blue. Mm. 
I don't know that many people answer back to that sometimes. Some people do. Yeah, there's, uh, it's worth trying. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. To, get, to get some help, to get yeah. some ideas, where to steer yourself. Absolutely. It sounds like there's just lots of avenues now that you can explore. To This is, I guess, one of the ways to understand a little, quite a lot more about what the role entails. Yeah, there's the BPS will tell you a bit about how to get in, but it's typically very sort of limited in how they can help you. They is just give you information. Yeah, the British Psychology Society. Um, But probably more useful is actually finding networks of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess finally, is there anything you'd like to share with those that are struggling with mental health and feeling reluctant to seek therapy or help? I would say learn perhaps more about how you could be helped. Maybe the reluctance is the not knowing not sure what kind of help you'd be offered, not sure um, how that would be delivered. Um, so a little bit uncertain. Um, people worry about being judged, don't they, by others when you sort of admit that you've got psychological issues. So I would say perhaps go into it a bit more, see what services there are around you, mm. um, but don't keep it to yourself. Speak to family members. Not every family member is the right person to speak to. Um, picks there's always someone in the family you can talk to there's always some friend you can talk to there's always there used to be gps <laughs> i don't know that they're so easy to access now but again there are voluntary organizations you can pick up a phone talk to people if you don't want to talk to someone there's you know like messaging services and things now don't sit alone with it you know if you can cause when you're in your worst you don't you just don't feel like you can do it no. Um, try not to be alone with it try and seek help and if that person is not in the position of seeking help again people around that person if you notice that there's somebody struggling with their mental health then you know give them perhaps little bits of a nudge give them little bits of information about where they could go apart from helping them yourself you know see if you can find resources or places that they could turn to yeah absolutely um i guess that sort of brings us closer to the end of our conversation was there anything that I didn't ask you or anything else that you wanted to share at all today I don't think so I probably missed out lots there probably if there's a psychologist out there or (laughs) someone involved in training listening they're probably thinking oh that's not my experience of psychology (laughs) or oh she didn't mention this Uh, that's fair enough Um, that's just my personal experience there'll be lots of things that I've missed um People working in different services will have a different view mm. of how it works. So that would be the take. I mean, it's, it's very varied, yeah. very varied. And it's got, because it's so varied, it's got space for so much more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me personally, you've definitely broadened <laughs> my understanding of what clinical psychology is and the type of person that could be in that role. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for that and for joining me today. And uh, thanks again. Welcome. Jazakallah khair for joining us on this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast. We hope you benefited from this episode, inshallah. Make sure you like and share this video. Jazakallah khair.